scripture today is continuing on in our new series in James, chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Before she leaves, I promise you that we do not pick out and lay out each other's clothes in the morning. I leave before she's up. She leaves before I get back from the office. It's not how it works, although it'd be better if it did work that way for me. But um, hey, welcome to Current. Hey, before we get into things, how about them Warriors? You guys, any Warriors fans out there? Sort of, a little bit. I know we live in a in a very uh, highly mobile place. Uh, speaking from somebody who, has grow, who grew up in the area uh, and, and knowing that there's a lot of you who are new to the area and, you know, it might feel like bandwagon jumping to go for the Warriors, we welcome you with open arms. If you're living here, it's home. Go for the Warriors. If you don't know, uh, it, this is the first time in, since the 1970s, I think, that, that there's been a team that has five current All-Stars starting on a team. So the Warriors were just kind of stupid before. Um, uh, stupid good before. Uh, now with DeMarcus Cousins coming on, it is like, it's insanely stupid, whatever that means. But um, uh, Okay, today we're not talking about the Warriors. All you Laker fans, I know you're like, all right, get on to the sermon. Uh, today we're talking about temptation. Yeah, real, no real good segue there. Uh, the topic today is temptation. As we look at uh, the series we are starting in the book of James, we are, we are looking at the series we're calling Faith in Action. And one of the very first things, the first thing he really gets at here, or part of the first thing he gets at to, is temptation. I think the topic of temptation is a really helpful one for us to consider for a couple of reasons. Um, but but uh, for, for one being that I don't think it's a really a topic that we just think all that much often. Uh, I, I think, sure, as a society, as a culture just in general, we recognize that it's there, that it exists. But we tend to, it seems to me, put it into one of two categories. Like one, it could be in the like, kind of more trivial of categories, like the cookies on the, on the dinner table. And after everybody's gone to sleep, you see them, and they smell so good, and they look so good. And okay, I'll just have a couple bites, and then fast forward five minutes, there's no more cookies there. And it's like, oh, I'm, you know, that's kind of our idea of temptation in, in, on the one hand. But on the other hand is like the complete other extreme, and that is like the scandal or like the, 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 the corruption or, or those sorts of things which this week there are actually even two people in the news that I'm aware of that when it was be- getting ready to become public, certain things that they, they found themselves into, uh, they just decided to resign. Actually, in one case, and it, this is all just sad stuff, uh, the person decided to take their life. Uh, temptation, I think, I'm no philosopher, 
uh, as a society, we tend to kind of put it in one of those two extremes, the trivial or just the, the, the scandal or the corrupt. But the Bible teaches us, James here teaches us, a far more nuanced, a far more deeper, it gives us a far more deeper understanding of what temptation is and how we are to face it. Because uh, while we might not care to admit that it's there, that it affects us, that it, it, it can impact us, James is saying it does, so we need to be ready for it. We need to be ready to face it. So he shows us ways in which we can do that. So what we're going to look at here are three things. He's, he's going to give us an explanation of temptation. He's going to give us a warning, and then he's going to give us an encouragement. So an explanation, a warning, and an encouragement. Let me pray, and then we'll, then we'll get in. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, with a topic like this, uh, with a little bit extra fear and trepidation, I just ask for your spirit to help me teach it faithfully. Uh, Lord, we long for your spirit. Um, each of us, as we listen to your word, as we take it in, we long to be touched by you and, and, and made more into your son's likeness. Would you help this be the case today? We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first, an explanation of sin. And in the context of James 1, we see that James is really saying here, all temptations are trials. All temptations are trials. If you were here last week, you know that we started off the book of James. James just, just, just uh, of all the different practical things that he's going to get into, it's a very hands-on, very practical book. Of all the things he could talk about, the first thing he decides to talk about are trials. If you, if you were here, you remember verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. And he goes on to say, uh, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So he's talking about ways in, a way in which we become mature. And not just, by the way, as Christians, but as people in general. When troubles hit us, are we going to be impact, uh, impacted for uh, the betterment of us as opposed to the opposite direction? Will they influence us in the good direction versus us uh, an unhelpful direction? Trials can do that. That's last week's message. You can look at it. But we all know somebody in our life where they're, either they've been really impacted by life's troubles and it pushed them in the direction of things were a lot worse, maybe despair hit them, maybe bitterness hit them. And then we know a few people in our lives, I imagine we each do, where trials hit them, and boy, they just, they just became really strong in character. They became really strong people, and, and these are often the type of people we'll go to when we hit our trouble. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials, James says, not if, but when you face trials, they're coming. Now, here's what I want us to note as we look at our text today, as we get into the verses a little bit after what we looked at uh, last week. The word that James is using for the word trial and the word temptation in the original Greek is the exact same word, okay? So in verses 2 and 12, you see him, the word is translated trials, but today as we look at verses 13, verse, uh, we look at verse 13, it, the translators translate it temptation. It's the same Greek word. So the question is, why do the translators into our English language, why do they take that word and use it different ways? The reason for that, of course, is because it can mean both. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nuanced word here that can mean either uh, the word trial or the more particular form of it, and that is a temptation. And where we, where we pick up today in this context, James is talking about the inner enticement we have towards what the Bible calls sin. Uh, the things that we want to do apart from him or apart from the best that he, he has for our lives. James is saying every temptation is a trial. 
and we need to see it in its context here. If you look at verses 9 and 10, which I'll read here in a moment, he gives us a little bit of a case study here, and he shows us that every adversity and every prosperity is actually a test. Every adversity, every prosperity holds every difficulty, every success is a test that could either make you much wiser, it's an opportunity for growth if you let it uh, move you towards verse 12. It can, it can move you towards the crown of life. We looked at last week, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch upon this week again. But also, that same opportunity is also one that can bring about terrible danger for us. Look at verses 9 and 10. This little case study James uses to talk about temptation. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. So he's saying if we make a lot of money or we lose a lot of money, both things are tests. Uh, and when, it, when they come into our lives, they will either make us a better person or a worse off person, but we will not remain the same. Now, I imagine we have people in our lives that we could think of that when money really, they, they came into a lot of money or the opposite, they, they fell out of a lot of money, that it drove them in the, in the negative direction. I imagine you, you can think of examples, I can think of a few. Uh, in my own life, no, no one I'm thinking of here, but th- those examples exist. But let me think of a more positive example in terms of understanding what James is saying when he's using this, when he's talking about finances and how we, how we use uh, our wealth. Uh, Cindy has some friends uh, that she met um, who are Ivy League graduates, a couple that uh, are in the hotel and hospitality business. And it became really on in their careers that they were going to come into a lot of money really soon. They're going to be incredibly well off, okay? So very early on, they decided as a family they would have two bank accounts, okay? One bank account for their family's use, but then the other bank account, really the lion's share of what what has come in, would be for a bank account that they would use specifically for gospel work and living generously towards others, so these two different bank accounts, and one of the, uh, a few of the, the beneficiaries out of this like heart that they had um, happens to be a number of, of students out of some of these schools who attended uh, different Christian fellowships that they just kind of offered all expense, free paid to a conference they put together, talking about ex- more or less that, looking at finances, looking at ministry, looking at different things like that. So they'd pay, they'd take care of that, bringing these folks who, and otherwise, probably statistically speaking, are going to be high-capacity leaders, are probably going to make a lot of money, and they challenge them and encourage them in two ways. One, real initially, to consider going into professional ministry, this idea of vocational professional ministry, serving there. Um, So that was one challenge, but in light of the fact that most of them, no doubt, would choose to go into the business world, and, and, and good for them to do that, they would then challenge them that with their finances that they're going to probably make, again, statistically speaking, being who they are with the education they have, to challenge them, to encourage them to steward the resources that were going to come upon them in ways that would help God's kingdom. Um, that was really their driving heart, and so they bring people together, they share personal stories, they talk about how they manage uh, their own money, and it's had an incredible impact, including, by the way, if I dare say, uh, if not for God using them over there, I don't even know their names, in, in different ways, I'm not sure Current would be around today. Just having incredible impact. But think about it. Why would they be so driven to use their finances this way? Why would they be so driven to help others consider their finances this way? It's because they understand that along with all the wonderful opportunities for good that, that wealth brings along with it, there's also incredible temptation. 
that comes along with it. And so they were just encouraging others, even as they really encouraged themselves and helped themselves live out this way, not to let success or or, or the like uh, tempt them in ways that were not uh, in the best interest of others or even for themselves. Now, quick pastoral sidebar. I just feel compelled to say this. Um, real quickly, uh, when I use an example like this, uh, two thoughts. One, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't share this as prescription. I, I share it as description. So uh, I don't want you to think or for me to even imply that, hey, this therefore means you need to go out and create two family bank accounts. Okay, James doesn't say here, create two bank accounts. Okay, I'm using an, an example, of course. What we're talking about here are, are heart principles. And the other thing I would say is it's really easy when I use an example like that to say or feel or think, oh, but those people aren't doing that. Uh, how come they're not doing that? And I would just encourage you, the, 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 the force of what James is here saying is look inward, consider yourself. If you're in humble circumstances, you ought to take pride in your high position. If, if you are come, come upon a lot of wealth, take pride in your humiliation. Uh, and don't put too much stock in things that will not last. James here is teaching us about temptation. He's saying, uh, we are learning here, that our character, who we are, isn't May, isn't because of trials, but how we respond to trials. Uh, coming into wealth or losing wealth, he says, is by way of example, isn't what makes our character, but how we respond or live in light of such things that makes and shapes who we are. Um, and James goes on to say, there's a great temptation for us to respond wrongly when these things come our way. If you look down at verse 13, he says, when, uh, when we come into this temptation, we often we can be tempted to respond wrong, wrongly and pass the blame. Here's what he says in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Uh, that's James keeping it real. He's saying, Christians, let's, let's, let's be real about it. It's really easy when we face trials to blame God, isn't it? Or is that just me? Um, you know, he's, it, when, we, when we face financial difficulty, it's easy to accuse God. When we face suffering, it's easy to blame Him. When we, fe- we are feeling like a lack in relationship or we're experiencing a breakdown of relationship, it's easy to get mad at God. Uh, when we come into uh, a lot of wealth, it's easy to put Him on call and not really go to Him at all unless we really, really need Him for whatever reason we deem we need Him for. When we see injustice, in the world, when we see it in our nation, when we see it in our city, when we see it in our own lives, we can begin to question God's justice. When we're lonely, we can question God's presence. When we meet harder times, we can question God's provision. James knows this about us. And what James is doing, like the brutally honest friend, is trying to help us, just try to speak directly into it. Uh, James really is that way, by the way, as we, as we keep moving forward. He's like the brutally honest friend. He, he packs some heat in his language. Um, but he's doing it for our help. He's doing it to, to love us and care for us. James is addressing a lie we might be tempted to believe, and that lie is that God is the source of our temptation. Um, it's easy to see how we might believe this. Uh, if God allowed X, Y, Z to happen in our life, then he must be the cause for it. Uh, for on the one hand, God does allow trials, but it's another thing entirely to say that God is responsible for our desire to do those things. Uh, That's the explanation of temptation. Here's the warning. He goes on to say, watch out for being lured by your own bait. Um, Watch out, or he shows us that we can each be lured by our own bait. Let me me break that down from the text here. 
James uh, chapter 1, verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So he says, notice, each person, not some people, not particular types of people. You don't graduate into spiritual, like, you know, maturity and not be tempted anymore. No, every, each person is tempted, which I just feel like I need to say real quickly. I've run across any number of people, Christians, who believe that because they're being tempted, it makes them a bad Christian, makes them a bad person. That's not true. Just because you're tempted, temptation in and of itself does not mean, uh, does not mean sin, um, but how we respond to sin. So how, how will we respond? So each person is tempted away uh, when they are dragged away. Uh, verse 14, that word dragged is where I get that word lure in our, in our point here. It's a, it can be used as a fisherman's word, uh, to lure a fish away. I'm not a fisher, fisherman, I'm not an expert in that, but I, I understand the basic concept that you need bait to catch the fish, right? You need a, you need a lure, and that's, that's kind of what, what James is getting at here. And he says, what are we dragged away by? He's, by our own evil desire. We, we are enticed. Cindy and I, over the holiday, uh, went on a whale-watching trip. Her sister-in-law found an awesome Groupon, so we just went out on this trip. Incidentally, we saw no whales, which I guess we get what we paid for. We were out there for three hours. You know it's a bad time when the uh, tour guide on the microphone is talking about the seagulls. Look off to the left of the boat. No, no, not whales. You see this, this type of gull that is, you know, local to San Diego. You know, I was like, boy. Anyways, uh, to register for that trip, we went into a fishing shop to kind of to take care of business and get ready to go out there. And in these fishing shops, I don't know if you've ever been in one of them, they have walls and walls. It blew me away. Aisles and aisles of different types of bait, of different types of lures. Have you ever been in there? Just walls and walls, aisles of just bait, different kinds of bait, green bait, red bait, pink bait, you know, and then different kinds of the same color. Why? Because different fish are attracted to different types of lures. It's not, you know, some of them want the, the, the same color, but it has to move in the water differently. And all this, again, I'm not an expert, but I understand at least that. Um, and so the point being that different fish want different bait. We are enticed by our own bait, so to speak, by our own desires. What's the cause of our sin? God? The devil? Worldly experiences or shiny things? No, James says, the only cause for our sin is because we want to do it, because we want to give in. Um, this is such a countercultural thought, isn't it? Um, that the one cause for our sin is what we really want to do. It's, it's in us. Uh, he's saying, James, that the problem lies within us, and therefore we have to look at our own hearts. And this is one of the, the, the messages about, uh, in the Bible that makes it absolutely unique, this emphasis on the heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. speaks. Out, of, out of the flow, flow of our heart uh, comes all the decisions we make in life, all our troubles uh, out there uh, aren't from society, aren't from uh, external environments. They really, uh, when it comes to temptation, come from within us, giving in to our own evil desire. Uh, and if you look at this word, evil desire, which is both in verses 14 and 15, it's a very, very interesting word. I think the old King James uh, version says uh, the lusts of our heart, which isn't probably the best of translation because it has a connotation that's more negative than the neutrality of the word. But it, it more literally, this word means is the over-desires of our hearts. 
that we have over-desires of our hearts, which means that it's, James is not just talking about, you know, the bad things that we can all agree, okay, that's bad, that's a bad temptation. He's also saying even the good things, wanting good things too much can become, uh, uh, can become too, too much. We can give into. Uh, it's the idea of I want this and I want to get it with or without God. It's all in the direction of what Scripture describes as idolatry. Uh, you know, something that we make, even a good thing, into an ultimate thing. Something that we make, so to speak, into a God. And the easy way, easiest way to identify what these things have become in our lives is to understand the things that if they were to suddenly be taken away from us, if we were suddenly to lose them, uh, they would, it would absolutely crush us. Um, it can happen, we can make relationships into these sorts of these over-desires, we can make possessions and so on and so forth. This is the nature of temptation. It all takes place in our hearts. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German, uh, a German pastor and uh, a philosopher, also an anti-Nazi dissident who, who actually, in the end, was martyred for speaking out against the, the Nazi regime, wrote a book on sin and temptation where he said that most of us trivialize sin. We think of sin as sexual immorality, he says, or substance abuse, and of course, these things would be included in the category of temptation. But it can be so much more than that, he says. Here's how he put it. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge, our love of fame and power, or greed for money. And then now he talks about the moment of temptation. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. Uh, we are not tempted uh, to feel hatred towards God, per se, Bonhoeffer says, but we are filled with forgetfulness of God. He's saying it's something else that consumes us that we actually forget about God. Here's where I think this especially hits us, where we live and in our generation. It's really easy to fall into the temptation, oh, everybody else is doing it, so it must not be that bad. Or, oh, hey, since everyone else is doing it, then, you know, if our culture says, you know, it's, that's in this area, in that area, it's, that's not so bad. It's, it's okay. What's, what's the big deal? Um, but God says differently. We are, we are choosing actively or, or subconsciously say, you know, I'm just going to forget God in this part and just do my own thing. But the everyone else is doing it is a, is a, is a, is a very tempting, tempting apple to bite into. And James is saying, don't be deceived. He says, this leads to death. Look at verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, what does he mean by death? Um, certainly, he's talking about a physical death here in a sense, but it's, it's much more than that, actually. If you look at Genesis 3, the, the first temptation, the fall of mankind, uh, when Adam and Eve did their thing with the fruit, uh, God had warned them that the day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die. But on that day, again, if you look at Genesis 3, when they ate of it, they ate, ate it, they did not keel over on the spot. So what's the deal? Was God wrong? Hey, you're going to die if you eat that. And they didn't, they didn't die right away, at least not for a little bit. In, in the Bible, it has, a, it has a, a much more fuller meaning of the word death. The Bible sees death not just as physical death, but spiritual death. It's death experienced in our relationship with him. It's death experienced in our relationship with others. And James shows by way of illustration that our nature, our, our nature is to, for instance, start blaming when we've fallen into temptation. Like, 
temptation brings out disorder in our lives. We'll start to blame, for instance, he said. And you see that in the Genesis 3 account with Adam and, A- Adam and Eve. You see them, uh, when it happens, what do they do? Adam says, she did it. <laughs> she says, he did it. Um, and that's how it works in our lives today, is it not? Any married people with an amen right there? I'll just, I'll, I'll, okay, I'm on an island here. I'll explain it for myself. It happens this way today. When I say give in to temptation, I do something that's hurtful to Cindy, it hurts her, obviously. It hurts myself. It hurts my relationship with God. If and when Cindy gives in to something that uh, uh, is hurtful to me, uh, how then do I respond to her in that? Do I respond seeing it as an opportunity to love, care, and serve her in that moment, even though, ooh, she did this to me? Or do I, you know, really let that feeling overcome me and say, you know what, she's made me hurt, so I'm going to make her hurt, right? Revenge, inflict pain, and you can now see the cycle that we live in. You don't have to look too far in the news where we are just constantly at each other. That is the death, that is at least an aspect of the death that James is talking, that we live in day to day in our lives, in ourselves, out there in the world, and it is, it is because of the things that are happening in our own hearts, in our own lives. Some, some of you know that I studied politics when, when I was in my undergrad years. It was depressing then, it's depressing now, but I'm still interested in it, so I studied it and I still study it, but I'm still depressed. Boy, nowadays, it is especially hard. Is it not how polarized we are? I'm not trying to say we don't stand for what's right, we need to stand for what's right, but the language, we are so polarized. And what, who will save us from this cycle? How do we, how, is there a path forward that is life-giving in all of this, instead of just the one that just tears down, that brings disorder, that brings death in all its different nuances. Um, James has talked about an explanation of temptation. He's given us a warning, and now here's the encouragement. And friends, what an encouragement this is, because here's the thing. The Bible has a lot to say about temptation and how to face it. Even if you've never read the Bible, I imagine you figure it has a lot to say about temptation and how to face temptation. But here James gives us ultimate way to face temptation. Here he gives us, in a very real sense, the only way, if I dare say, to face temptation, to actually overcome it. Look at verse 16 and 18. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. I love this. Real quickly, verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Actually, the force of that is is James saying, I can't wait to tell you what I'm getting ready to tell you. Listen to this, guys. Every good and perfect gift is uh, is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James is saying, you know what you got to lean into and understand who God is, his goodness and his good character. Are you starting to see what James is saying in terms of how we fight, how we can even overcome temptation? Look also back at verse 12. It's there too. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Again, that's the same word as temptation. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you see it? James is saying, really, the only ultimate way of facing and overcoming temptation when you get down to it is not, you know what, try harder. Nor is it, you know what, you just need to build up the willpower. Nor is it, You just need to avoid all situations that are going to get you into trouble, nor is it just set up accountability. All of those things are very important, friends. Let me just say that. The Bible teaches all of those. Those are good. You need to seek those things. We need to seek those out. They're very important. But James here is saying, 
here's what you really need to ultimately understand with temptation. Here's how you can ultimately overcome it. Here's the encouragement. We need to reorder our loves. He's talking about desires that we have. He's talking about the desires that we find placed in other things, whether they're in and of themselves bad things that we give into or whether they are making too much of good things. Uh, We need to replace those things in the one who loves you, cares for you, who knows you through and through and offers you grace, offers you love. Um, Don't you see, this is all really counterintuitive, but James is saying temptation then, just like trials last week, can actually be for our good. Temptations are actually for our good. How can that be? Temptations then show us our hearts. They show us where we're looking to other things as opposed to God. So, for instance, let's say you have a deep-seated, just real desire for justice. Justice is a good thing. We need more justice in this world. God knows. But if we make justice into uh, 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 as an over-desire into an ultimate thing, that can cloud the way we go about it. And we can end up seeking vengeance or infi- inflicting pain when that perhaps is not the best way forward. Or take the desire for quick gratification. Maybe putting, you're putting something uh, before God in that sense. It may be a deep-seated desire for that feeling of acceptance or closeness with another person, of intimacy. And so we think we'll just ignore uh, trying to understand how God designed intimacy um, because it just feels good in the moment. But that's bypassing God and His, and His, goodness, and His good work for intimacy and wanting to, to, to build it into us and give it to us the way He's uh, uh, meant it to be. Or take, for instance, the deep-seated desire to advance and be more successful. That can easily drive us. You know, it's not to say that, you know, being successful is a a bad thing in and of itself. Uh, That can drive us to, for instance, look at things that might be a little bit more morally questionable. You know what? No one's looking over here. No one's going to understand this business deal. We'll go for it. Or maybe that same drive, which not necessarily is a bad drive, means we're treating people over here not as well than than we otherwise would if we trusted God that he's going to give us all that we need and let him lead us in his timing. Ultimately, we might be able to make incremental improvements in these areas by our own strength, but chances are it will only be superficial if we don't get down to the heart level. James is saying we need to reorder our loves. We need to find our desires in him, the lover of our souls. Uh, The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ faced every and all temptation. Uh, That's a very profound thought. Here's what it says in its entirety. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I I can't get my head around this. This is such an amazing thought. He is saying Jesus faced all temptation and overcame it. Not so that, okay, therefore now, next clause in that sentence, you need to shape up. You need to now overcome sin. Now look, he cares about that. We've talked about that. He He loves us and he wants us to become more like him. But what's the very next thought after he says Jesus faced all these things and yet overcame? He did this so that he can empathize. He did this so that with confidence we can approach him and receive mercy and grace. In other words, God's campaign is to smother you with love. 
when it comes to temptation, he wants to smother you with love and grace. Does that mean he gives you a free pass and he wants you to think about free passes and, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and keep doing this? No. No. He loves you too much for that. But he knows deep down the way he's going to get through to you, the way he's going to get through to me is to smother us with his love because it shifts our desires ultimately to receive them from him, the one who loves us, cares for us, from whom all good things come from, who gives us new life, makes us first fruit. The gospel is Jesus took James chapter 1, verse 15 for us. After our desires were conceived and gave birth to sin in us, and sin, when it was fully grown, became death, he took that death upon himself. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus taking the sin and death that was conceived in us upon himself so that we can have life in him, so we can have the crown of life, life verse 12, uh, to those who love him. Uh, do you love him? Have you received what he has done for you? The gospel is on the cross. He died so that you could receive forgiveness of sins. The gospel is so that the temptations that you have given into and the temptations that you will give into have been forgiven. He loves you. He cares for you. And that just takes receiving it. Will you receive it? And then if you have received it, it's just living from that love. It's pondering more fully, more deeply what he's done for you. Don't you see? He's saying, I want you to overcome sin. The best way to overcome sin is, yes, put the different markers and boundaries you need to in place, but ultimately, find your over-desires in me. Find your desire, your love, your worth, your identity, your meaning in me. And in that way, from the inside out, we become to change. Facing temptation is a lifelong battle, and there will be many wounds, but the gospel is he took our wounds on us, on himself, for us, so that the only lasting wound, that is spiritual death, eternity apart from him, will not be faced for those who love him, and, he, and so he will draw us to himself. So draw near to him. In times of trial, in times of temptation, draw near to the one who faced all things and yet overcame them for you. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a topic that, yeah, we don't, we don't really give a whole lot of thought to all that often, uh, culturally, of course, but even probably, I just venture to say personally, um, uh, on, the, on the more individual level. Thank you, like James, you know, James and his, his character of being like the brutally honest friend, but just caring so much about us, wanting to not just ignore it, but speak into it. You've given us this word to really help us consider these things. Lord, we start by saying, forgive us for the way we fall. Forgive us for the way we give into temptation. Forgive us for the way we make other things, good things and bad things alike, into the over-desires of our heart. Forgive us this. But thank you for the cross. Thank you that the gospel takes this away from us, that we might receive, first of all, the love and forgiveness from you, and that in you we might live into this and live out of this. Father, for those who are facing temptation where this, this whole topic feels especially heavy, maybe this morning is especially heavy, heavy given the topic and where they're at right now, would you especially give them your comfort, your care, your sense of peace even now? Would you let them lean into your arms, your gospel-loving arms that have the wounds in them that, we, that you might take away our wounds? And Father, as a church, would you help us live 
more and more like Jesus with your help, and we help us extend his goodness and love to others. We ask all of this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.